when was it? A couple months ago, I preached here on um, Zoom, I guess it was. I zoomed in on you, and I uh, began a series then in Romans chapter 8. I'm not preaching that this morning, but I am going to begin, I'm going to continue that series next week, because Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter that brings together all of the doctrinal truths in the first seven, really first six chapters, and then makes application from the seventh chapter with the struggle, Paul talks about with the struggle with sin, and then he summarizes really the great blessings we have uh, under God. And so I use the phrase back then that we are living under the smile of God, but those truths in that chapter are also form some very basic truths of the Christian life, some foundational truths of the Christian life, which form a great series of things for which we as God's people should be thankful. So we're going to go through that chapter looking at all that we have to be thankful for uh, in, that, in that chapter. God talks about, we, the first few verses we talked about uh, the fact that we are under no condemnation. Uh, but then we're going to go through and talk about how he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us. Uh, giving us the spirit of adoption and not the spirit of fear and how all that applies to us. And the fact that we are now heirs of God. So we're talking about also our future hope, the, the, the wonderful joy that we have, that even as we go through the sufferings of this world, we have an eternal hope. And then he kind of sums it all up at the end of the chapter, talking about his eternal plan and how the, all those things that he has done for us is certain, and we do have uh, an eternal hope. So we're going to begin that or continue that next week. I'm going to kind of do a little summary of the first seven verses, and then we're going to jump into the next section, which is uh, the second thing we have to be thankful for which is our, our, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But that's next week. I want you to take uh, your Bibles and turn, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to talk about lessons from a funeral, which sounds like a really downer, right? But, uh, and I will tell you, the first part of this message is a little bit depressing, okay? So hold on. By the time we get to the end of the message, we'll have some hope. Um, this has been a, la a rough few years. Probably uh, most of us have known someone who has passed away. Uh, not necessarily all because of the time of COVID, that's getting a little bit behind us now, but there were a number of people we had in our church in Arizona. Uh, several people, several very significant people uh, who, who went to be with the Lord. And, and whether that's because of some type of pandemic or because of some other issue that has happened in the world, uh, it, it's, it's hard when we think of people who have gone to be with Christ. We rejoice with them. It's our loss, not their loss. But we rejoice with them on the way here. Uh, Leslie and I were just talking about people here in the church who have now gone to be with the Lord in the last 15 years. Uh, some of these folks who are great stalwarts of, of the church and, and foundations here in this church, pillars of this church who have uh, gone on to glory. Uh, we're staying in the Bryce home, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, heritage they have left uh, to this church to be able to have that property and to be able to use it here in the ministry. Uh, I, I think 
I, I think when I, when I think of this, one of, the, one of the men who impacted me greatly was Dr. Tetro down at International Baptist College. We had him many times here in the church when I was here as a pastor come up and uh, uh, he actually, we think he had COVID for anyone, before anyone knew what COVID was. Uh, very, very early on, before they had even really came out and said what was happening, because doctors couldn't figure out what was happening. Later, the doctor says, we think that's what you had. Um, and then later, um, uh, I think he got it again, and, and he was, his body was so weak at that point that he just couldn't survive. And he said, almost on his dying, uh, with his last breaths, um, to the president of the, uh, current president of the college, he said, gasping for breath, he says, God is good, the need is great, and we must contend. And that's kind of become the battle cry, really, uh, down at our church in International Baptist College, is God is good, but the need is great, and we must contend. What a, what a wonderful heritage to leave. I'm going to talk a little bit about the heritage that we leave behind this morning, but Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we find an interesting statement. Uh, it begins by talking about how a good name is more precious, uh, you know, it's precious, more, better than a precious ointment, the day of one's death, better than the day of one's birth. But then he says in verse 2 that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, because that's the end of all men. And the living, the living, the wise will take it to heart. I, I, I'm not a big party guy. I know that's going to shock a lot of you. Okay. But, but having said that, I would much rather go to a party or fellowship, if you want to call it that, than to a funeral. But there is more to learn. There's more benefit. Actually, what, what Solomon is saying here, there's actually more benefit to going to a funeral than there is going to a, a great party with your friends. Because the lessons you learn from that, the reality of that sinks into your mind, and the result of, of what you learn from that is of tremendous, tremendous value. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from a funeral. I have a pastor friend. We actually went to high school together. We were in the same youth group growing up. He was a few years older than me. We were almost ordained together, but I was in California at the time, so I ended up being uh, ordained here in California, and, and he, back in Ohio, was, was ordained back there. He ended up joining the church staff uh, I think he was even on staff when he was ordained, uh, shortly after he graduated from college, and he remained there, and actually a few short years after that became the senior pastor of that church, which at that time was a very large church. He told me recently that, um, that he has done over 850 funerals in the 40-some years he's been there as a pastor. That's hard. That's hard. That's, that's, I mean, depending on the size of the church, that's several congregations, right? 
uh, that he has buried. And we were, just, we were talking about, he said, I've done some weddings. Obviously, I've done some weddings, but he said, I've done nowhere close to the amount of weddings that I have funerals. Reality is that we're going to go to a lot of houses of mourning. We're going to go to a lot of funerals. Uh, many of you know uh, my own brother passed away this, this year, my older brother. And uh, going through the problem, his, his state was rather simple. I mean, he, he was single, didn't have any other family. So, you know, we're still dealing with, you know, that takes, if you've ever done that, it takes a long time to, to go through that. So there are some lessons that I want to share with you this morning that I think are obvious lessons that, that really, as you think about the house of mourning, it says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because the, the living will take it to heart. I want us to take to heart this morning some of the lessons that we learn from a funeral. I'm going to start with what is, I think, fairly obvious. And that is that life is brief. Life really is brief. James 4.4 says that our life is what? A vapor that appears for a short while and vanishes away. Um, I, I know when you're younger that life does not seem that way. Now, I hate where I'm going with this because it makes me feel old. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm sounding old. I used to hear older preachers say this. Wow, that sounds old. Now I am one. But the reality is that life is brief. Uh, I have a Chinese pastor friend who tells me, he says, you're not getting old, you're getting older. <laughs> I don't remember that, okay. I'm living by that. I'm not getting old, I'm getting older. But truth is, as you look back on your life, it's amazing how those years seem to pass by. Psalm 39, verses four and six, the psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. And then he goes on to say, indeed, you've made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. The psalmist is asking the Lord, Lord, let me know my end. He's not asking to know the day of his death. But he says, I want to know the reality. Drive it home to me, the reality of the brevity of my life. Let me know the measure of my days. Let that sink in to me. So that I, I will understand, really, just how frail I am. And the fact is, he says, you've made my day as a, my days are as a handbreadth. You know what a handbreadth is? In Jewish measurements, a handbreadth was this. The measurement, it's four fingers on your hand like this. You know what's really sobering? Is to realize how many fingers you have left. You know, those of you who are young, you've got all four of them here. Some of you, some of can't do this. Some of you are down to three. Two, some of us are on our last finger. And some of that finger is getting shorter and shorter. I mean, it's basically breaking your life into four quarters, you know, into fourths. 
And, and, and you look at that and, and, and you realize very solemnly how brief life is. When you see your children going old, it doesn't seem quite right. Uh, I'm too young to have children that old. Uh, I have my 11th grandchild that's supposed to be born here in a couple of weeks. We're looking forward to uh, uh, Chris and Tessa having uh, uh, their third child. And um, I, I remember this, this summer, I, I took two of my granddaughters to camp at Grandview Camp and it's up in the mountains in Arizona. It's about 8,000 feet elevation. And, uh, you know, we got there. It was, it was exciting. It's been a while since I've been in camp. Since I've been left the pastor, I haven't really done a lot with camps and, and uh, you know, being there and, and, and to get there, the excitement, the counselors come up, they meet them at the car and, and they take their luggage and they're, well, you know, it's all that excitement. I used to preach in camps. I ran camp at Lucerne for, I think, 11 or 12 years. I did the junior camps up there. And, uh, you know, that was, that was fun stuff, exciting things, exhilarating. And during that time, I looked at Leslie, I said, I feel like I'm in my 20s again. <laughs> then I walked up the hill to my cabin. <laughs> at 8,000 feet elevation, I knew this body was not in his 20s again. <laughs> The Lord brings it home to us, oftentimes, the fact, the reality that life is brief. We just need, we need to come to grips with that. But secondly, not only is life brief, but death is certain. Where are we at here? Yeah, death is certain. Um... Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Now, we've all been to funerals, and we have seen the body of a friend or loved one in the casket, and of course people walk by and they say, oh, don't they look natural? No, they don't. That is not reality. The reality is that the real individual, the soul, is alive in either heaven or in hell. The body is just the shell. To be absent from the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. That's a wonderful truth. To think of being bound in this earth and to be maybe struggling through pain and suffering and to wake up and open your eyes in glory. It is not sad for the person who, who passes away. The, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, Scripture says. It's hard for us because it's someone we love, and, and to see them, to not have them is, is, is very difficult. And, and, but we sorrow not as others who have no hope. We still have hope. But for the unbeliever who dies, Luke 16 talks about the rich man who died and opened his eyes in hell. It's a horrible, horrible thing. The Bible teaches that for the believer, there will be the judgment of works, what we call the judgment seat of Christ. I think that will take place somewhere during the tribulation period. Theologians debate on that exactly, but perhaps during that time period, we will receive rewards for what we have done in the body. But then there's also a time called the great white throne judgment, where unbelievers will stand before God, and the books will be opened and to see whether their names are written in the book of life, and those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, Scripture says. 
The reality is, the truth is that though life is short, death and judgment is certain. When I was a pastoring, when I was pastoring and called upon to do the funeral of a church member, I always very seriously felt the weight of my responsibility at funerals. Because I'm looking at someone who maybe had listened to me preach perhaps hundreds and hundreds of times. And I knew that I was going to be accountable to God for their soul, that I had preached the truth. I had preached God's word to them. Now, obviously, they had, they had responsibility to respond. But I always, it always reminded me of the seriousness of my responsibility to teach and to preach God's word accurately. Because all of us are going to be there at one day in that house of mourning. Because life is brief and death and judgment are certain. That should cause each of us to be burdened to reach our friends and loved ones with the gospel. Because Solomon said this later in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, for him who is joined to all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, understand Jewish culture, a dog was like the animal of contempt. It was a, considered a dirty, unclean animal. A lion was a powerful creature, threatening creature. But to the one, to the one who is living, it, it, it's better to have a living dog than a dead lion. While there is life, there is hope. And we may know loved ones, we may have friends who, are, who do not know Christ as Savior. We need to pray that we use this time while there is life to get the gospel to them, to use opportunities to share the gospel with them. In fact, is if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, there is hope for you. But if you die without Christ, you'll face his judgment. So, Life is brief, death and judgment are certain, and the third point you see here is that as earthly treasures and values will perish. The things we collect in this life and hang on to this life, we will ultimately lose. It's very human to hang on to things we see with our eyes and to value things that we can feel and touch. Yet we are warned repeatedly in Scripture not to get burdened with the things of this world. This past year, Les and I had the opportunity to visit Israel, and in, in our visit to Israel, we were able to go to Egypt for a couple of days. It's fascinating to listen to the stories of the pharaohs, of how that they, they believed in this eternal cycle. The whole idea of a pyramid was that there is this eternal cycle, and that they would take things from this life with them into eternity. It's whether they're, they were buried with all these gold and riches and, and treasures and some of their favorite things. I read about uh, one uh, former pharaoh they believe was a, actually a, a lady that they believe was a pharaoh, one of the last ones who uh, was buried with wine in her, uh, in her coffin so she could have the wine to celebrate uh, when she was in the afterlife. Well, they found the jars, the wine had dried up, and uh, she obviously didn't, didn't have any uh, <laughs> in eternity, okay? You can't take things with you. 
the only things you can take with you is what you do for Christ and the influence of people you have, you have been used by God to bring to Christ. You can give the gospel to people. You can see people that you have shared the gospel with. Yeah, you can take those to Christ, goes to, to heaven with you. And anything that you have done for the Lord, God will honor. In fact, Jesus said that if you give even a cup of cold water in my name, you will not go without reward. And yet in spite of that, in spite of that, we get entangled with the things of this world. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No man who warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who ha has called him or listed him to, to be a soldier. Matthew 6.19 says, To lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. God tells us, don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. But we do. Here in America, it is a special problem. Did you know that the self-storage industry in the U.S. is a $39 billion industry for self-storage? Because we have so much stuff that we can't fit it into our houses. And by the way, our houses are bigger than anywhere in the world, pretty much. Okay, I, I, I've been able to travel the last 15 years all over the world and, and been in some places that are, it's amazing how many people you can cram into a little, uh, to a little room. Uh, our missionary in Hong Kong lives on the 45th floor, I think, of an apartment uh, housing tower. Uh, I think he has, I think he said it was 800 square feet for him, his wife, and, and their two children. And that's considered pretty large compared to some of the places uh, in, that, in that building. Uh, we are so blessed in this country. We have so much. But because of that, we tend to cling to this stuff. We tend to hang on to it with all of our life. Remember Psalm 39, verse 6 says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. They busy themselves in vain. They heap up riches. And he does not know who is going to gather them. Or Psalm 49, verses 10 to 12, talks about the man who sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool, the, the, the foolish person uh, perish. And they leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought, their secret thought, is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. He says they call their lands after their own names. Jonestown, Smithville, whatever your name is, you know. Bakerstown, Reedville. Thinking that, you know, they're, they're going to establish themselves in this way, and yet they die, though in honor, they do not remain. They're like the beasts that perish. Have you ever had to clear out the estate of a loved one? I was fortunate in that when my, my, both my parents died, my brother and sister lived closer to them. I was out here in California, and I didn't deal with really much of that. But when my brother passed away, I found that I was the only one left to do it. 
how many pictures are too many pictures? <laughs> okay, I mean, um, how long do you keep items that once meant something to the owner, but no longer do, really does not mean that much to you? Diplomas that were on a wall, uh, different recognitions that meant something to them. I mean, think about this, you know, you're, you go to college, you go to grad school, you earn degrees, or maybe at work you get some certificate of recognition. My brother had, uh, w w had these different awards that he had won, worked for the Air Force, wasn't in the military, but he worked as a civilian Air Force and negotiator and supposedly saved the government all this money through the years. And, and so he got all these different awards and uh, they were tucked away in one of the closets. He didn't even hang them up and well, what am I gonna do with it, you know? Uh, my sister had her graduation robe. She had a, her earned doctorate and she had her uh, doctoral hood and my brother had kept that and her you know, funny little doctoral hat you get to wear when you, when you get, a, get a doctorate and graduations. And she had that and he had kept that. What do you do with it? I mean, how the things that were of value to a person that represented maybe a, a big deal to the person, what are their children going to do with it? What are your children going to do with it? Want something to humble you? Think about the things in your house that are, are precious to you. What, what are your kids going to do with them? Sell them on eBay? <laughs> I mean, perhaps. Um, how many generations will it be packed away in a box or a chest until it is ultimately thrown away? That puts the things that we value in this life in a whole new light. Life is brief. Death and judgment is certain. And the treasures that we hold on to and value in this life are going to pass away. So it's been, pretty, it's been pretty negative, okay? I told you it was going to be negative, but, but there's some good news. The good news is this, is that you, you can lay up treasure in heaven. Missionary Jim, Jim Elliott made the statement that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, you can lay up treasure in heaven. Jesus taught that we should lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven where neither must moth nor rust does corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. How do we lay up treasures in heaven? It's by serving Christ. It's by serving the God who has saved us. Paul wrote in Ephesians that for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For what? We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, saved unto good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works, to perform, to serve Christ. We are called not to serve, I mean, not to be served, but we are called to serve. Church is not a spectator sport. You know, it, it, it's sad that people get into the habit of just 
coming and, and thinking, okay, as church is what I do on a Sunday morning. I come and, and we sing the hymns and we do this. Okay, that's great. Then I go home. No, church is where the body of Christ gathers, but we leave here to serve Christ. And, and people who become spectators oftentimes become critics. And if, if we are not careful, we end up seeing our life as, as a life focused on what people can do for us, what the church can give to us, rather than what we can do and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not living for eternity, your life may end up seeming like vanity. You know, you read this book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon later in life. Much of the book, much of the book seems to be very negative. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. I did all this, I had all these riches, it all was vanity. I had all these pleasures, it all was vanity. I did all these things, it all was vanity. It all was empty. Because that's what life is apart from serving Christ. It's empty. There's, there's, no, there's no real value. There's nothing of, of substance with it. And so people began, even Christians began to just get into the habit of living their life for what can be done for them and, and get the spectator man attitude when it comes to church, they become critics because life, life's not happy. They're not happy people. I don't know about you, but have, I mean, I've met some unhappy people in my life. And, and many times as people, you can, you can and, and sometimes they're professing Christians. And if you really look into the matter, you'll, you'll begin to find out it's not really these people are, are really serving the Lord. It's just, what has the church done for me lately? Or what has this person done for me lately? And I don't get what I deserve. And I don't, you know, on, on, on. It goes. I tell you, I've been to some of the poorest parts of the world and seen some of the happiest believers there anywhere in the world. I, I, I remember going to this little hut uh, in, uh, it was in India. It's a little mud hut, a little grass roof. And, um, you know, the pastor and his wife, I mean, they were just beaming happy with joy. And I, I've been to places where people are living in a, in a multi-million dollar mansion and, and they're miserable. Because life without Christ is vain. So, Though life is brief and though the earthly treasures will pass away, we can lay up treasure in heaven. We can do that which is eternal. We can do that which is of substance and of eternal value. Which brings us to the last point. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat and drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The last point is this. If all this is true, if life is brief, death and judgment are certain. We cannot take earthly things with us or earthly treasures with us, and yet we can lay up treasure in heaven. Then the obvious conclusion from that is that we should serve God with all of our heart, with all of our time, for all of our life. I will, I will tell you, we have some missionaries in some, I would call that miserable places. And they are rejoicing and happy and thrilled to be able to be serving God where they're serving God. 
And there are a lot of Christians in this world who have, are living their lives for themselves and are unhappy and miserable and can't understand why and are blaming everything else. Solomon summed it up this way at the end of, uh, at the, end of, of the book. He said, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. I didn't have the verse up there. He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For that's the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon said that, that's the conclusion. After all he had faced and gone through, all the foolish mistakes he made, he realized life is summed up with fear God, keep his commandments, serve him. You see, time, we use the expression, I'm going to kill some time. Time is not to be killed. Time is our life. It's the opportunity God gives us to serve him. We should live for the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our body, with all of our mind, for the glory of Christ. It's not I, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, we should serve him with zeal and purpose so that we might do, as Paul said, finish our course with joy. Now, I realize God does not call everyone to full-time Christian service, at least vocational service. It's a whole different subject in itself, but he does call us to serve him full-time. Whether it's in the business world, with education, whether medical field, whatever, construction, we can use the life, the gifts that God has given us to serve him and do what we do all for the glory of God. You know, when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, saw the vision of the holy God on the throne, he cried out, Lord, here am I, send me. I thought about that and his response to that. It, it's, it's like, have you ever seen little children when they are in school, when they want to be picked for something they really want to do? You know, with, with me, I remember as a, I think it was first grade, uh, if we got the special prize as first graders, we got to go down to the, um, actually it was the furnace room, but we called it the milk room. And we got to go get, bring up little uh, cartons of milk, you know, chocolate milk especially, if you got the chocolate milk, that was special. And we got to bring them, and we got picked to do that, that was a special job. That was a special privilege. And I remember as a little kid, I mean, you, you see it, kids raising their hands, me, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. That's what I think of when I think of Isaiah 6. When Isaiah got a vision of the holy God, here my Lord, send me. Lord, oh, I'm over here, I'm over here. Too many of us are trying to run away the other direction. Trying to hide under our chairs. Oh, don't pick me, not me, no, someone else. When we understand the privilege of serving Christ, we ought to be just like those little kids, just as enthusiastic. Lord, here am I. What can I do, Lord? Here am I, send me. Lord, use me. Lord, okay, I'll, I, I'll do that. We understand the value of eternity, the brevity of life. 
we ought to do everything we can to serve the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our being. Serving Christ is not something to be shunned, but it's something to be treasured. I think if young people understood how wonderful it is to serve the Lord, you would be just like Isaiah. Lord, here am I. Send me. I close with the story of C.T. Studd, who many of you have heard the story of the famous cricket player. I don't understand the game of cricket. I have friends in India and Africa, and they just think cricket is, they try to teach me the game. I still, don't, I still haven't gotten it. Any game that takes days to play is just kind of over my head. But anyway, um, but he was a famous cricket player. Actually, uh, was going to make a lot of money doing that. It was making money doing that. But got saved, and, and God called him to be a missionary. He gave up that lucrative career in the eyes of many to follow the Lord to the mission field. He served in China. He served in India. I've had the privilege of standing in his pulpit in India, which was pretty neat. Uh, he went to Africa. He died in July of 1931 in the Republic of Congo. And he wrote this poem. I mean, it's a, there's a lengthy poem. This is only the very last verse you see on the screen. But it's by far the most famous quotation. And most people remember verses, the first two lines. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That, that's a powerful statement. But I really like the last couple lines in this. He adds, and when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. There's a lot of people in this world that are burned out, but they're burned out for all the wrong reasons. Is the lamp of your life burning out for Jesus Christ? I guess if I could summarize all of what we talked about in the scripture and all of scripture and answer this when he says it's better to go to the house of mourning and the house of feasting because the living will take it to heart. What lesson do you take away? Only that which is done for Christ will last. Let my life burn out for you, for, for Christ. Let my candle burn out serving the Lord. No better way you could use your life. No better way your life could be spent than in the service of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll leave you with the question this morning. Is your lamp burning out for Christ? Maybe it's burning out because of activity and things and effort and all that you're doing, but is it being burned out for Jesus Christ? When you stand before God someday, when you stand before the Lord someday, will he look at you and say, well, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or will you be sorrowful because you, you really did not use the life he gave you to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords? May God help us to learn from a funeral that life is brief, death and judgment are certain, Eternal treasures are going to pass away. Only what's done for Christ will last. Therefore, let's serve him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind for as long as we live.
no better way uh, to, to use our life than, in the call, than for the cause and purpose of Jesus Christ.